You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. talking and stuff like that so uh pray for him and uh amen listen attentively don't look at him all scary like y'all look at me all right look give him a smile every once in a while or not okay <laughs> just easy you take that one you take that one unless you want a cold one okay okay cool i'll just drink them both <laughs> uh good morning uh today we are continuing our series on the, the Real Church. Today we're talking about real fellowship. Turn in your Bibles, uh, if you'd like to follow along, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And today we're going to be talking about real fellowship, biblical fellowship. Now, when I was a kid and I heard there's going to be a lesson on fellowship, I think uh, I already know what the three main points are going to be. Potlucks, cake and ice cream after church. Number three I didn't like as much. Right hand of fellowship applied to the seat of knowledge. <laughs> well, the biblical example of fellowship has a little bit less to do with food and, or discipline. It's about one of the richest blessings the Lord provides through the local church. Amen. Society provides many opportunities for socializing through work parties, sports, social media, etc. But fellowship with God's people 
has a depth and a richness that surpasses mere social interaction. But before we get too far into the lesson, I would like to say um, I really believe our church does a great job of this. Um, and actually, God has convicted me studying for the lesson. Um, and it's neat how that happens. When you study for something, you, you receive it in a different way than just hearing it. Um, but God's worked in my heart. This is something I need to get better at. This is a room to grow. Um, and I praise God that his word does show us exactly what we need to do to grow. Fellowship in the biblical sense provides encouragement and growth. It's purposeful and Christ-centered, and it provides a level of friendship not available through any other means. This was the fellowship the early church knew and practiced. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we catch a glimpse of the significance of Christian fellowship, and we learn its defining characteristics. So number one, faith is stabilized. If you're taking notes, number one, faith is stabilized. The unsaved world makes an ongoing and constant assault on our faith. Whether it is a direct attack on the foundation of our faith itself or a more subtle discouragement from living as a separated Christian, it tends to undermine the stability of our faith. Biblical fellowship, on the other hand, strengthens our faith. Rather than tearing it down, it encourages us in the ways of the Lord. And this is exactly how fellowship worked in the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. There are two specific reasons that faith is stabilized through fellowship. Letter A, because of continuance. Salvation is only the beginning of our walk with the Lord. True faith is ongoing. For much of my life, growing up, I went to church at Calvary Baptist Church in Red Bank, Tennessee, just outside of Chattanooga. And one day, I was going on door-to-door visitation. <clears throat> I knocked on the door. Lady answered. We got to talking, um, going through presentation of the gospel. And I asked her, have you ever um, asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you and forgive you of your sins? And her answer was something I've never heard before or since. Um, a little unusual. She said, I do that every day. Now, whether or not she's saved, I unfortunately still don't know. That's between her and the Lord. Um, and while God doesn't save us every day, that's a one-time thing. God does work on us every day. And it's, it is an everyday decision to die to ourselves and live for him. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's something I read about the other day um, known as the watchmaker theory, sometimes called the clockmaker theory. It's an aspect of this, this false belief known as deism. And the idea is that God created everything, just like it says in Genesis. Um, he set everything up, and he created the framework for everything, but just like a clock can continue to run without its designer or maker presence, God just left us alone at that point. He created everything and left us to our own devices. But that's not what God has promised us in his word. That's not what God's word clearly teaches. God answers prayer. James 4, verse 2 says, Ye have not because ye ask not. God forgives sins. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, God continues to work on us until the day we get to see him face to face. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And also along the same line, 
2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, notice the tense of those words here. Behold, all things are become new. Now, normally we might say have become new or are becoming new, but the King James Bible words it this way on purpose. It was intentional. It's conveying the idea of a tense in English we don't have or I just didn't learn about. Uh, you see, in the Greek text, what's used here is known as the perfect tense. It has the idea of something starting at a particular point in time, but its effects carry forward into the future. We were saved once. God saved our souls at a particular point in time if we have accepted Christ. And God continues to work in our lives to make us more like his son. Those in the early church who were genuinely saved continued forward with their newfound faith. And fellowship with other believers was one of the ways God worked to stabilize their faith. As you fellowship with others who have also believed in Christ, your faith will be strengthened along with theirs. Notice that Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says that they specifically continued in the apostles' doctrine. The centerpiece of their fellowship, the common goal they all had, was God's word. But we must remember that biblical fellowship is based on the common faith we have in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the example of the church at Berea. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. This church had faith that was stabilized because of their growth in doctrine and their diligence to study God's word. Sometimes it is wise for us to pause the question, what are my friendships based on? What is the common point of interest I share with my friends? For the church at Jerusalem and the church at Berea, Jerusalem, it was God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building firmly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also are built together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. The local church is a building, but not of bricks, wood, or stone. It's of people. Just like we learn in the first few lessons of the Real Church series, we are the church. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone, and God's word is our foundation. And it's upon that foundation we gather here every week, and we grow, and we encourage each other, and we learn. One of the best examples I've personally seen of real fellowship in my life excuse me, is of my late grandfather, Dr. James Gardner. He really cared about people, and he was just a really encouraging guy to be with. Whenever my family would visit him, he might talk about the episode of Jeopardy he saw last night or the game-winning touchdown pass Peyton Manning threw for the Colts, which kind of dates this a little bit. But if you spent very much time with him at all, he'd be talking about the Lord how good God is, what he read in the Bible that morning, prayers that God has answered in his life, or perhaps just how he's been praying for his friends and family. And he had this thing that he would do. He would assign a letter to each day of the month. First day of the month's letter A, so he might pray for each person on his list, each ministry, that they would abide in the Lord. Fourth day of the month, letter D, he might pray that they would dwell in the word of God richly. 26th day of the month, letter Z, might pray that um, each person on his list would have a zeal. They would be zealous 
for the Lord that day. If you're wondering if the day had, if the month had 31 days, you'd go E-I-O-U. But his spiritual habits of prayer, of reading the Bible, and real fellowship kept him grounded in the faith. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. We must remain grounded and settled in Christ, and fellowship helps to stabilize our faith. When we are with God's people enjoying real fellowship, Christ is exalted and preeminent. What a joy it is when we're on the mountaintop and we get to share how God is blessing us, what he's doing in our lives. But what a comfort it is when we're really going through it, when we're going through the valley, and the church is here for us, and they encourage us. Number two, fellowship is sustained. Another characteristic of real fellowship is its longevity. In contrast to the world's up-and-down, come-and-go friendships that are based on shifting commonalities, God's design for Christian fellowship is that it will be sustaining and encouraging. Sounding like a pig up here. Excuse me. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Pigs don't sweat. Three young boys were having some mischievous fun at the zoo by the elephant yard, and they made enough commotion that some onlookers called for the zoo security and concern. The security officer asked each boy the same two questions. What is your name, and what are you doing by the elephants? My name is Larry, the first boy answered, and I was just throwing peanuts at the elephants. That seemed reasonable enough, so the officer turned to the next boy. My name is Jared, and I was just throwing peanuts to the elephants. The third boy, obviously flustered as he stuttered his answer out. My name is Peter, but my friends call me Peanuts. Have you ever had friends like Peter's who, instead of helping you, just toss you around? Real fellowship between Christians who are walking in the Spirit will operate much differently. What sustains the fellowship of God's people? What gives it its longevity? Letter A, it's sustained through Christ. Because our fellowship is centered on Christ, we have a common base that is far more substantial than surface interests. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As the 17th century preacher Thomas Brooks once said, Let those be thy choicest companions who have made Christ their chief companion. God's design is that saved people fellowship with one another. The Greek word for fellowship in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is koinonia, and it refers to partnership or sharing. When we receive Christ as our Savior, we become partners, not only with him, but with all other believers. Thus, we have a responsibility and a privilege to fellowship with one another in the church, to encourage one another and build each other up. Real fellowship takes place through sharing together in prayer, singing, gathering, Bible study, soul winning, serving, and the Lord's Supper, also known as communion. And it is found as we observe the regular functions of the church in harmony with other Christians. One author pointed out that when we could have real fellowship, sometimes we just settle for mere socializing. Quote, there is a Christian failure to distinguish between socializing and fellowship. Although socializing is often both a part of and the context of fellowship, it is possible to socialize without having fellowship. 
Socializing involves the sharing of human and earthly life. But Christian fellowship, New Testament, koinonia, involves a sharing of spiritual life, how we're really doing. Don't misunderstand. Socializing is a valuable asset to the church and necessary for a balanced life. But if we're not careful, we go beyond giving socializing the place it deserves. We become willing to accept it as a substitute for fellowship, almost cheating ourselves of the Christian birthright of true fellowship altogether. Socializing can be enjoyable and beneficial to our lives. It is a good thing, but it must not replace authentic Christian fellowship. Fellowship is God's gift to bind like-minded people together. It stabilizes our faith and sustains our walk with the Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. It is because of Christ that we have fellowship with one another that is sweet and precious. Churches that lose their center of fellowship around Christ become more of a social club than a church. With no emphasis on the blood of Christ and salvation through him alone, there is no real fellowship. A Peanuts cartoon depicted Lucy in a bad mood talking to Charlie Brown. I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. Charlie Brown said, but I thought you had inner peace. I do have inner peace, Lucy snapped back, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. There are certain relationships and associations that will definitely affect our inner peace, and those include people who might be living in sin, or as Proverbs say, they might be scoffers, scorners, people who might hinder our walk with the Lord. So we need to be careful with that. When we are right with the Lord and walking in the light with him, we will have fellowship with other Christians that is sustained and encouraging. Letter B, sustained through Christ's local body. The early church at Jerusalem exploded in growth after Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. It was in this context that the new believers continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The fellowship of the local church is like a greenhouse for helpful, sustaining Christian growth. The British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, pointed out our need to sustain one another through fellowship. Quote, some Christians try to go to heaven alone, in solitude, but believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander alone. Those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect, that they love to get together. Sheep go in flocks, and so do God's people. God did not design the Christian life to be lived in isolation, but in fellowship. Christians who separate themselves from the flock of the local church make themselves vulnerable to Satan's attack. Predators of sheep or other flock animals look specifically for an animal that is separated from the flock as solitary animals make for easy prey and they can't defend themselves. This is one reason that sheep will instinctively stay grouped together in flocks, even to the point of becoming agitated when separating from the others. A Christian who is not part of the local New Testament church and who is not engaged in authentic fellowship with other Christians is placing himself at risk simply because he is separated from the flock. But when we place ourselves at risk like that, it doesn't just affect us. That affects our marriage. That affects our kids and everyone else around us. It's important. George Swinnick, 
A 17th century English Puritan used a similar analogy when he pointed out, Satan watcheth for those vessels that sail without a convoy. And scripture specifically instructs us not only to regularly assemble with our local church family, but to encourage one another in consistent spiritual growth. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I think we could probably all agree it sure seems like that day is approaching quick. Genuine Christian fellowship is an invaluable asset in strengthening and sustaining our faith. It provides accountability and encouragement, challenge and comfort, edification and exhortation. And by God's very command, every Christian is to actively engage in such fellowship. Real fellowship stabilizes our faith. It sustains us in Christian growth, but it also gives us the gift of godly friendships. Number three, friendship is strengthened. Every significant relationship in your life will serve to either sharpen or dull you spiritually. It will strengthen or weaken your walk in the Lord. It will encourage or discourage your faith. God's creation is an amazing thing. And if I may, one aspect of his creation that never ceases to fascinate me are plants, which, big surprise, I work on a farm. But plants are incredible. They take, they take sunlight, they take water, they take carbon dioxide out of, the, out of the air, nutrients from the soil, and somehow God made plants to take all those things and they make any number of vegetables, fruits, nuts, forages, so many things we enjoy. I should probably enjoy more vegetables. But one thing in particular that plants do is uh, work together with this thing called companion planting or companion cropping. That's where you might have a main plant you're trying to grow, say sweet corn, and you put various other plants around it to make it better. I was doing some research on this, and for example, comfrey can attract beneficial insects, insects that might keep your corn safe from the not-so-beneficial insects. Marigold stimulates root growth in neighboring plants to make them better. And uh, another example, if you were to plant, say, clover this season, it'll pull nitrogen out of the air so that it's there for the plants next season. So each of these plants use their strengths to help those around them, and so can we. As we close this lesson, oh, that went fast. As we close this lesson, let's learn from Scripture four ways, specifically, we can build godly friendships in the local church. All of these characteristics are vital in developing and preserving authentic fellowship that reaches deeper than surface greetings. Letter A, through honesty. A true friendship will be built on trust, and trust comes through honesty. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Our relationships as members of the same church gives an added layer of responsibility and our honesty toward each other. Not only are we careful to speak only the truth, but we must be willing to sometimes speak the truth when it hurts. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Real fellowship includes appropriate accountability and genuine concern for the spiritual condition of friends in the church. For instance, if you notice someone's been missing some services, you might reach out, call, text, Facebook message, whatever, and say, hey, I miss you. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? 
You've perhaps heard the phrase, friends don't let friends fill in the blank. Friends don't let friends cheer for Duke. Friends don't let friends drive red tractors. In a similar way, Christian friends don't allow their brothers and sisters in Christ to make significantly wrong decisions or to slip spiritually without speaking the truth to them in love and grace. And I know that can be a hard thing. I've heard, uh, I've heard that described as hugging the cactus. Sometimes it's what needs to be done. Sometimes the honesty of another Christian friend is just what we need to recalibrate our heart and realign our Christian walk. Letter B, through dependability. Fellowship deepens through dependability, and dependability is born out of a Christ-like love. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 14. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Christ's standard for the love he commands is high. It is to love one another as he loves us. This is a love that is steady. It doesn't vacillate with our moods, but it remains consistent as it is fueled by Christ's love for us. We've heard countless times the account of David killing Goliath. But did you know that Goliath's son almost killed David? 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. And, what was a good baby name? Ishbi Banab, which was, a son, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. He, being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him and smote the Philistine, and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. The giant referred to in verse 16, uh, where it says, which was of the sons of the giant, that is often to believe uh, to be Goliath. So here we have David, fighting the Philistines with his servants, with his men, and he was getting tired, been fighting a long time. The Bible says he waxed faint. This made for terrible timing because Ishbibanab, Goliath's son, was ready to get revenge. He was ready to kill David, and he had his perfect opportunity. But then here comes David's nephew, actually, Abishai. Now, we need to keep in mind, Abishai wasn't just a nephew protecting his uncle. He was, he was one bad dude. Second Samuel 23, verse 18, And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among three, and he lifted up his spear against three hundred and slew them, and had the name among three. Abishai single-handedly took out three hundred men in combat. So he knew what he was doing. He could fight. And by God's grace, Abishai used that ability to save David. He was dependable. Now, when a brother brother or sister in Christ needs us, when someone's reaching out, or you think you should reach out, Are we someone that can be depended on? Letter C, through encouragement. One of the greatest blessings of fellowship is the godly encouragement it provides. And the Bible even tells us that we need the strength and encouragement of godly friends who are going the same direction spiritually as we are. Think of Paul and Silas. 
Brother Ryan preached an excellent message on this several weeks ago. When Paul and Silas were thrown in prison at midnight, what did they do? Well, let's see. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Neither one of them threw a pity party, though, let's be honest, who would blame them? Right before they were thrown into prison, the Bible says that they were beaten, but they weren't down on themselves. There was no pity party. They're just singing praises to God. Psalm chapter 42, verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Excuse me, 43, 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Paul and Silas had their hope, and not the way we think of hope, but they, they knew and they trusted in God. They praised him at midnight. And while the Bible doesn't say specifically, I'd say between the, their trust in God's provision and the singing of praises, I'd say they probably had a great countenance. They looked like they had the, the fruit of the Spirit. They had real fellowship as they trusted in God together and praised him together. And speaking of countenance, I heard a message probably 10 or 12 years ago um, by Dr. David Gibbs, Jr., and uh, actually entitled Be an Abishai. It's the first time I heard about Ish Baibanab. Um, but one of his points he talked about really stuck with me, um, probably because to this day I need it. Um, but one of his points was about your face. God has given everyone a face. It is a billboard, but what is it saying? How are you using your billboard for the Lord, or are you at all? Does it show that you have the fruit of the Spirit? Is it clear that you have love, joy, and peace in your life? Do you look like someone with self-control and patience? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Being part of a local church allows us to share fellowship that upholds us and encourages us in the faith. As we nurture these relationships, we not only give encouragement to others, but we receive the encouragement of others. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, Scripture likens the potential for godly encouragement uh, to a friendship, in a friendship to that of a tool being sharpened. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. The best fellowship is shared with Christians whose influence sharpens you and points you into a greater effectiveness for the Lord. Letter D, through acceptance. Some people have twisted the meaning of acceptance so that it signifies condoning sin. Now, while we should never support sinful lifestyles or behaviors, we must accept and love people. That's what Jesus did. And this is especially true in the context of Christian fellowship. Acceptance is the optimal environment for growth. There's something about, that, um, something about acceptance that fosters the trust needed for transparency and accountability in a friendship. And Jesus set an example for us in John chapter 4 with the woman of Samaria, sometimes known as the woman at the well. He accepted her when many in that day absolutely would not. It surprised her, in fact, that he would talk to her. Um, and actually, that is also a good example of honesty. We'll look at that. John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Jesus saith unto her, Go, 
Call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said well, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. I think this is a great example of when we come to God, we need to be honest. And isn't it a funny thing that sometimes that's hard to do. God already knows. He knows everything about us, all our faults, our struggles, the things that we don't even want to be honest with ourselves about. But he loves us anyway, and he listens. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The acceptance and real fellowship encourages growth and sustains us through difficult seasons of life. Honesty, dependability, encouragement, and acceptance are indispensable traits of real fellowship. And if we are to practice the fellowship known by the early church, we must determine to personally develop these traits in our own lives so we can offer others the fellowship Christ intended. So in conclusion, God created us with the desire and need for friendships. Facebook started uh, way back in 2004. And since then, they've accumulated over 2.9 billion users. Billion with a B, that's a lot. That's more, in fact, than the top two most populated countries in the world, China and India, combined. And while we might have hundreds or some people thousands of friends on Facebook, that just shows that God put a hunger in our hearts for connection, but not just accepting a friend request or liking a post. Real connection. God gave us the gift of the local church as a way to grow godly friendships with other believers a place we can give and receive the gift of real fellowship. And through these relationships, he intends for our faith to be stabilized, our fellowship sustained, and our friendship strengthened. The challenge for us is to follow God's plan for real fellowship. Make your most significant and sustaining relationships those that you share with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Even in your marriage, purpose to develop the richness and depth that comes through sharing in Christian fellowship. And finally, remember not only to receive fellowship, receive encouragement, building one another up, but give it as well. I'll leave you with one last verse. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Pastor. Man, excellent job, Danny. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time and effort Danny obviously put into the message today. Um, I just had a couple uh, follow-up questions. I was thinking about, uh, you know, with any any family, organization, church, there's norms. There's social norms. And I was thinking of uh, what are some good norms for a church to have that encourage true Christian fellowship? And I'm just throwing this out there. What are some good norms? And Danny hit several of them already, I'm sure. But what are some good norms? Things.